0: welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited to bring you another great discussion with a physician, this time, Dr. Sheila Specker, an addiction medicine specialist and psychiatrist and fellowship director at the University of Minnesota. Now, Dr. Specker talks about her journey through family medicine to begin with, and then into addiction medicine fellowship, and then back to psychiatry residency, a long journey to get to ultimately what she loves. We had a great conversation and started with the discussion about how she got into addiction medicine.
1: I became interested in addiction medicine and psychiatry when I was a medical student. And I was on clinical rotations, third or fourth year. And our hospital had a very active um, substance use treatment program. And I was intrigued by the fact that it was maybe a little bit less uh, pathology oriented and more of a health oriented and how to improve your life. And so I participated. It was only a two week experience. And back in medical school, we never had a rotation in psychiatry. I was always interested in family medicine. So I ended up Matching and going into family medicine. Mm. So I was always still in residency intrigued by more of the behavioral health because that was a significant piece of primary care and did not especially feel equipped in the way that I would have liked to uh, with completing family medicine training. But there are things I particularly liked about family medicine, which was the continuity and seeing families. Over time, so after residency in family medicine, I uh, this was Wisconsin. I went back to Minnesota to do an addiction medicine fellowship. And in the course of doing the family medicine fellowship, I realized just how much comorbidity there was with other mental health disorders. So decided that I was going to do a psychiatry residency so this is kind of the long route into <laughs> an, an academic practice so after fellowship after residency in psychiatry then i joined the faculty here at the university of minnesota so that's kind of a long route
0: that is a very long route and, and probably not one you would recommend to most people
1: not particularly
0: <laughs> like i liked residency so much i want to do it again Exactly. So for you, what what was it about the addiction medicine? Can you dive in a little bit more what you meant by less pathology and a little bit more kind of lifestyle? What what did that what did you mean by that?
1: What I meant by that is looking at the treatment that happens that occurs for any substance use problem. And a lot of what happens are life skills or life-changing kinds of experiences. So using some of our most common modalities, which are cognitive behavioral skills, AA, other recovery activities, which are very focused on coping and behavioral changes and uh, networking, connecting with other persons that have similar issues, similar disorders, was very powerful. It was a very powerful interaction. And that's what got me intrigued uh, in the first, in the first route. And so many years later than it's we recognize just how the brain functions or is affected by substances. Mm. But that's a much, that was a much later, I think, concept. Yeah. What
0: traits do you think lead to someone being a good addiction medicine specialist?
1: I think the ability to work with people where they're at. And so we talk about doing a motivational approach, motivational interviewing, looking at the pros and cons, looking at their level of motivation. How do you move it into um, a point where they are willing to do something. So being able to sit with where the person is at. um, It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to say, oh, this person kind of did it uh, to themselves. Uh, I think we combat uh, stigma of addiction, as well as other mental health problems. Uh, And the stigma is something that can keep people from seeking help.
0: And when you say "motivational interview, it's it's something we kind of throw around the medical school when when students are learning how to interview patients. it's you're You're talking for someone who maybe hasn't heard that term. You're talking more about really finding out, have you thought about stopping smoking? Have you thought about improving your diet and really going off of that?
1: Yes, yes, because I think that approach is for all illnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, addiction isn't unique in that. So we use the same kinds of strategies. And you're right. I mean, we teach medical students fairly early on about motivational skills and just how important that is. And to, to give patients the ability to make those decisions.
0: As an addiction medicine specialist, what types of patients are coming to, to see you to be treated? What, what kind of pathologies are you seeing?
1: Well, I'm seeing any substances of abuse, but of course now with the opioid epidemic, we're seeing a lot more opioid problems. And I'm also medical director of a residential treatment program. And so a lot of persons with opioid problems um, will come into the program. So I use a lot of pharmacotherapies for addiction. And specifically for opioids, we use a lot of suboxone, methadone, and naltrexone. Yeah.
0: What does a typical day look like for you or a typical week if you don't have a typical day?
1: I'm not sure I have a typical week. But, tip, but if I would look at a, a particular week, um, I would have a day a week where I spend as medical director and addiction psychiatrist at the residential treatment program. Mm. I supervise addiction medicine fellows. And if we have residents that are also interested in addiction, that that would be another day a week. Um, One day a week, I have my own clinic, which is largely a dual disorder clinic. Um, I also have a, research component to what I do, uh, which occupies a couple of half days a week. And then some other consulting work. I am the medical consultant for our health professional services program, which is a monitoring program for licensed healthcare professionals with addiction and other mental health problems.
0: Mm. When you when you say dual diagnosis, what is what does that mean for a student who doesn't know?
1: Substance and other mental health problems okay. combined.
0: Okay. So someone who may have bipolar and alcohol addiction, something like Correct.
1: that. Correct. Okay. Correct. I, I want
0: to just briefly kind of go on a tangent a little bit, mentioning kind of the, the consultant for healthcare professionals who, who have addiction or other mental health um struggles it's it's always something that comes up a lot for pre-meds where they they see these articles online about how physicians are scared to to go to a psychiatrist to talk about their mental health because they're afraid they're going to lose their license can you maybe paint a prettier picture to to students to to really let them know it's okay to go get help
1: yeah absolutely um most states, if not all states have an alternative program for licensed health care professionals with addiction or other mental health problems. So if it if it gets to the level where it's really interfering and persons enter this program, it protects their license. So they do whatever they need to do and the licensing board does not find out about this. So that is a real, plus, and a real benefit. Also, there are many places, institutions, that offer private, confidential services that do not get reported anywhere. So it's completely separate from even health insurers. Mm -hmm. But what I say to people also is that it's an illness, and we need to think of it as an illness, whether that's addiction or depression or anxiety, and we need to get the appropriate care for all illnesses, including those.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost the opposite, right? Students who are scared, uh, or residents, or wherever they are in their journey, they're they're scared of the the implications of going and getting treatment and potentially catastrophic things happen which will then affect their license when if they just went and and sought help sooner than than everything hopefully it would be better.
1: Right. And I think the same strategy as any other chronic illness is mm-hmm. intervening early.
0: Definitely. Awesome. What does call look like for an addiction medicine specialist?
1: Uh usually there isn't any.
0: <laughs> That's kind of nice.
1: <laughs> it is. Our fellows uh, and this is, I think, typical for most fellowships around the country is there is no call. So it is usual hours. And all of the in addiction medicine specialists that I know of that are in the in the community or private sector also uh, don't have call.
0: Is it typical for for somebody who maybe shows up to an emergency room, an emergency department uh, to to be seen? by by a quote-unquote general psychiatrist, and then if they need more of the addiction medicine specialty, then, then you would see them in an outpatient setting?
1: I would say in the emergency room settings, we are not generally equipped to manage mental health and substance use other mm-hmm. than the acute manifestations. I think that's a problem nationwide. Um, I know your state is... Has great services, uh, but that's very unique. Mm. It is not common that you can get psychiatric consultation in most emergency rooms, unlike other specialties. Yeah.
0: Okay. Is that is that a side effect of just uh, a lack of physicians to to kind of meet that demand?
1: I think it's it's. Partly that. I think there's a lack of training. Um, for instance, in emergency rooms, many emergency room doctors are not waivered or licensed to prescribe buprenorphine, which is a, one of the important treatments for opioid use disorders. Mm-hmm. So that really impedes patients getting the help that they need. Now, many systems are developing bridge clinics, some way to address that problem, but we still need to get physicians trained uh, in providing this.
0: Yeah. For the medical student who's interested in addiction medicine, what should he or she be doing to, to really kind of make themselves stand out to a, a residency, to a program director like yourself, um, to get a, a good fellowship?
1: I think medical students uh, could do a specific experience or a specific rotation um, in addiction, whether that be within the Department of Psychiatry or in the Department of Family Medicine. Those are probably the two most typical departments that would offer addiction medicine uh rotations Mm.
0: and for you as as the fellowship director for addiction medicine are you because i know there are different paths like like you took uh originally from family to addiction medicine as the program director fellowship director for addiction medicine are you having family medicine residents come into your program, or are there different fellowship programs for family medicine versus psychiatry?
1: Sure. Most typical would be residents graduating from family medicine or internal medicine programs. So from primary care specialties. We don't require that. They could come from other specialties. And we've had pediatrics, there's been OBGYN uh, specialists. And then, of course, psychiatry psychiatrists often take the route of doing addiction psychiatry fellowships. And the reasons for that uh, largely have been accreditation. So, addiction psychiatry programs had accreditation back in the 90s, I think. And there was no official accreditation of Addiction Medicine until about two years ago.
0: Interesting. So
1: now, yeah, it's very interesting. So we've gone through formal accreditation, and this is after Addiction Medicine acquired uh, subspecialty recognition. And interestingly enough, Addiction Medicine is under the board a preventive medicine as a subspecialty, which is very interesting.
0: Hmm. Okay. So as the fellowship director, let me kind of re- restate um, just to clarify, as the fellowship director there at the University of Minnesota, the m- majority, if not all of the residents applying to your program are from family or internal medicine.
1: That would be typical. That would be most typical. But we just had, we just graduated a pediatrician. We just graduated someone who was in occupational medicine. Yep. So it can be quite varied. And it isn't necessarily persons that have just graduated from residency either. Some physicians have been out in practice for some years and then decided to make a switch into addiction medicine.
0: Yeah. And, and that's—it's always interesting, right? I, it's one of the things that I always question about our educational system. It's like we—we're kind of forcing these people to—to to figure out their life so early on. When they're like, "I'm free, away from home, away from my parents, and this is what I want to do for the rest of my life." And then they get a couple of years in, they're like, "Well, maybe that wasn't the right choice." But they're a little bit
1: absolutely. Stuck. Yeah. I know, and I felt that about my first specialty. It's like, "Oh, this is great," but I'm not sure that I want to do this for the rest of my life either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So true. What does fellowship look like for, for a fellow?
1: Fellowships are extremely varied. Um, and I know this because I've reviewed other fellowships. Um, so I could tell you a little bit about what ours looks like. I'm not entirely sure if it's typical. Okay. So fellowships have certain basic requirements. So, The basic requirements are you need to have some training in an inpatient setting, which typically might be an inpatient detox unit. It might be on a consult liaison service in the hospital for the medical and surgical units. It could be in uh, being the physician in a residential treatment program. Those would all be typical inpatient experiences. Then there's the bulk of most trainings now is in the outpatient sector because that's the setting where most physicians will be in practice Mm -hmm. unless you are a hospitalist. So other experiences are going to be in the areas of adolescence, some with geriatrics, uh, with neonates and neonatal abstinence syndrome. They all have a what we call a continuity clinic, it's their own patient panel that continues through the duration of their fellowship, which is a one-year uh, experience. Um, some elective time, typically. Um, other experiences might be in an intensive outpatient program, as the physician kind of lead of the team, much of addiction now is very interdisciplinary. So the physician might be a lead, but it's a very interdisciplinary team. Who else is so on that, that might team? Be typical. Who else is on the team? Yeah. Um, psychologists, social workers, residents, if there are trainees, um, substance use counselors, would also be on the team, case managers. So it's quite quite broad.
0: Mm. Okay. For you, what was the decision to to be in academic medicine versus going out to the community?
1: My interest was initially in research. It still is an interest, um, and there, I had wonderful mentors that were faculty. And that drew me into academic medicine because I was able to partner with one of our faculty and to come on board. And it was a little different, I think, era, I guess this dates me a little bit, (laughs) when I completed residency, in that there were not a lot of Outpatient practice opportunities. And that has changed rather dramatically through the years. Mm. Then, once I got into academic medicine, I really enjoyed uh, teaching. Um, and then ultimately, I've been program director for probably about 15 years yeah. here.
0: When it comes to an osteopathic medical student or resident applying to your program, is there anything that they have to do to to stand out above the MDs?
1: No. I mean, I would say that it's that they're seen in exactly the same light. Good. I do look in terms of residents coming from any residency if mm-hmm. what their interest might be, and so I'll always talk with them before they even really apply to see where their interest is coming from and what kind of experience they've experiences they've had. Mm-hmm.
0: For the, the future primary care physician out there, what do you wish they knew about that you're doing kind of day in and day out with your patients to, to help you and to help their patients get the, the treatment they need maybe sooner?
1: Yeah, and that's a problem in the medical school as well as in residency programs, that the amount of exposure to addiction is very limited. Some schools, including ours, would have only a few hours even of direct uh, exposure in the classroom. Now I think it's better because we have some specific courses that are offered. One of the things that I wish that family medicine physicians would realize is the gains and the improvement that people make. It's really easy to see the end stage result. If you're on the inpatient medicine service and you see cirrhosis, for instance, from alcohol and become jaded by that versus seeing people recover in the outpatient setting through treatment. So having that continuity experience in the outpatient setting, I think, is really critical. Mm
0: -hmm. Once someone is an addiction medicine specialist, they're fellowship trained, are there any kind of further subspecialty opportunities, anything kind of niches where people are going and, and practicing?
1: There are some who are or become interested in academic medicine. Mm -hmm. And we've had a number of our fellow graduates enter one of our academic affiliates. That, I think, is one avenue. Another common avenue is graduates become assistant program directors for fellowships. Mm -hmm. And so join the faculty in that way. I've also had several that then go out into the community, into a direct addiction medicine practice itself um another avenue which i think is very positive is having graduates go back into a primary care setting specifically to provide consultation and help with their colleagues in primary care mm.
0: nice what do you know now that you wish you knew before going into addiction medicine or, or kind of another way to, to phrase that is what would you tell your earlier self uh, based on what you know now?
1: The stigma issue, I think, comes up and, and certainly came up at the time. So recognizing even more the underpinnings of addiction being uh, neurological, being the brain science, Behind addiction. Um, A lot of that information wasn't available until maybe the more recent five to 10 years. We've learned quite a bit about the brain and what happens with the use of substances and how some changes in the brain, especially with opiates, probably don't return back to normal, which Mm -hmm. is why we use opiate agonist therapies.
0: Yeah. And, and when when you're talking about the stigma associated with it, really just understanding more of the, the physiological kind of underpinnings of everything and not just, oh, that that person is weak willed or whatever kind of stigma we want to throw it at addiction. Right,
1: yeah. right. And recognizing it's a chronic illness, as yeah. are many other conditions that we treat.
0: Yeah. What do you like the most about being an addiction medicine specialist?
1: One of the things I like is, well, about my job is the variety that I have. So I will have patients in many, in different settings, and I really enjoy diversity. I really enjoy what people bring to the office, their stories. I think that's partly what brought me into psychiatry as well, is learning about the patient, And being able to be with the patient kind of through their struggles and to the other side.
0: What do you like the least?
1: Insurances. (laughs) Yeah. I think, again, it depends on what state you're in. But I've had insurance companies after three days of treatment say, oh, that's enough. I think you can go to a different, a lower level of care. Uh When in reality, three days is not going to affect much other than detox. So I think that's an ongoing struggle. How
0: far away do you think we are from more kind of concrete, and maybe that's not the right word cuz maybe you'll be like well we have it uh, and you can educate me more more concrete kind of physiology and really understanding of everything that's going on in the brain to to make it more real for the insurance companies and for people who still have a stigma against addiction and other mental health, uh, disorders. Um, I know m- my wife being a neurologist, she, she does a lot of concussion and TBI stuff and it's, it's the same thing. It's like, well, I can't see the broken bone, so it must not be, there's nothing wrong.
1: Right. Yep. That is true. And often it's a political issue. It's not necessarily a science issue. Mm. Um, You know, insurance companies are not using the same criteria. I'm very involved with our psychiatric society. I'm the current president. And we have a lobbyist and we're very involved in parity. So parity for both mental health and substance use. And so it may take legislative efforts to achieve that. And that's one area that I really think we all need to be advocates for our patients to achieve that.
0: Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of addiction medicine that that someone coming up through training should be aware of?
1: I do. Um, We have some very interesting and new treatments. Neuromodulation, for instance, is up and coming, and it's one of the areas that... We have researchers here, and I'm involved to a certain extent with that. So TMS, transmagnetic simulation, is one of those modalities. So realizing, um, I, I think we even have a neuromodulation fellowship now, um, that these modalities really can affect addiction as well as other mental health problems. Nice
0: what do you think is the kind of the biggest misconception or myth that other physicians or healthcare providers have about addiction medicine?
1: That it's not treatable, that it's not satisfying. Um, I think what people bring to it, whether it's their personal experiences with someone that typically maybe has not done well and that flavors their perspective. I think just education is is one area that is hugely lacking that we really need to address. And so going back to medical school and education, I think is really critical. Mm-hmm.
0: If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an addiction medicine specialist?
1: I definitely would. I definitely enjoy what I'm doing and find it very meaningful and fulfilling. Good.
0: Now, a little a little bit of a detour into uh, something that I like to to kind of challenge students with, their pre-meds uh, as well, is uh, especially as an addiction medicine specialist, I, I'd love your, your kind of... Um, view of this. I bring up Portugal a lot after they decriminalized drugs uh, 10 or so years ago with outstanding results. and I always talk about if we should do something similar here in the US. And I would love to hear your thoughts on on decriminalization of drugs and and helping people potentially um, get treatment they need because of that or if you see any huge challenges by decriminalizing. Uh, illicit drugs
1: right i am definitely in favor of decriminalization and our professional society which is the american society of addiction medicine has come out with a very strong statement to that effect um i can't give you the the facts on what percentage of institutionalized or in jails, but it's something like 70% will mm-hmm. have a substance problem. And it might be for something fairly minor. And it also is, it's definitely not true that after incarceration and not using that people will have favorable outcomes unless you do something in terms of treatment. So some systems are looking at that in, in getting, getting those in the adequate treatment and particularly as they leave jail or prisons. So I am very much, and I think all of our professional societies are in favor of decriminalizing, not the same as legalizing yep. certain substances to be sure, but definitely decriminalization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's good to good to hear that the professional societies are on board with that and I think the the data at least out of Portugal and and wherever else the there's data is seems promising and
1: it does um,
0: it helps helps people really get the the treatment they need versus being afraid to to step forward. Right. Any last words of wisdom for the residents or the medical student or pre med student who is interested in addiction medicine?
1: I think contacting an addiction medicine specialist and spending some time with that person. I've had medical students or pre-medical students or residents from other institutions spend time with me, such as in clinic and in didactics. And I think it really gives them a good perspective of what the field is like. So if anything, I would encourage that.
0: All right. There you have it again, Dr. Sheila Specker, an addiction medicine specialist Hopefully this episode increased your understanding of what addiction medicine is, what addiction medicine specialists do, and hopefully disrupted some of those myths out there that maybe you've heard along your path. If you're interested in addiction medicine, as Dr. Specker said, try to reach out, find a mentor, find someone to shadow, get exposure to the field. That's the goal of this podcast is to really open up your eyes to what's out there And then you have to go do the rest and introduce yourself to those physicians practicing in the specialties that you are looking to get some exposure in. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.
1: This is MedEd Media.